Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On this week's episode, we are talking bread, homemade bread, the good stuff. Chiming in are Claire Saffitz, our senior food editor here at BA, and our resident baking expert, as well as my brother, Andy Rappaport, who is an avid home baker and has baked nearly 300 loaves of sourdough bread over the last couple of years. Two of them chat about their methods, compare and contrast, and give you some wisdom in case you've ever thought about making your own bread, but have been a little intimidated by it, like me, because it's an undertaking. All right, let's do this thing. Here are Claire and Andy. Claire Saffitz, welcome back to the pod. Thank you. Uh, and Andy Rapport, is, is this your first podcast? First podcast. All right, so we're talking bread today. Uh, and Claire, you're sort of like the resident baking expert at the Bon Appetit uh, staff. Is that fair to say? Uh, that would be the reputation. I don't ever feel like I'm an expert on anything in that oh, realm. You're like right. proudly uh, walking around with your baked goods, like preening around the kitchen. We've seen you. But I'm always like, it's not quite right, or this is messed up. <laughs> but people that, eat it anyway. That's, that's like the Jewish mother in you. <laughs> Always give the disclaimer. Um, all right, so we're talking bread and like um, home baked, like really nice loaves, like beautiful loaves with yawning, gaping holes and crust and all that good stuff. Uh, we did a piece a couple of Februarys ago, Claire, home baked bread, and it's the recipe is four pages long and takes three days. And yes. at that point, I said, like, I'm out. I'm not doing this. Yeah, we. I think. Andrew Knowlton refused to even read the recipe on proof. He was like, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around this. But the the mandate actually from you and from Carla, our food director, was like to come up with a recipe that is the best at-home bread you can make. So that is without a starter, which we'll talk about what that means. So this recipe uses active dry yeast. But it uses all the techniques of like artisan bakers who make these beautiful crusty loaves. So it's sort of a country style loaf. The te- technically, it's sort of like a modified miche, which means like a whole wheat. Um, but miche is usually sourdough. This is um, leavened by active dry yeast, not starter. Um, but it it really it has really nice flavor, great depth of flavor. Um, it's not that sour because it doesn't have that sourdough starter. Um, but it's for the few people that actually made it, I got very good feedback. There's like six of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Six people in the whole country. Uh, but they loved it. So it's a lot of work, but it's a really fun process. And I, th- I think it's worth it if you like bread. Well, can we – and so let's talk about the process because, Andy, you bake bread regularly at home. I do. Uh, you share it on your Instagram account. What's your handle? Andy Rappaport 66 And so it is a process. And, and like is. I know I, as a home cook, like I like to – cook things quickly, and I like to have my hands on them, whether it's searing a steak or, you know, stir-frying vegetables, and then it's on the plate. Yes, this is the opposite of that. Yeah, and so, I, I Andy, where do you get that patience from and what, what, what the curiosity? Like, where, yeah. what, like why? Why now, do this? I think it's the perfectionist in me that's like, if, if there's something wrong, there's no way I'm letting this go until I get it right. And after... What did I say? 280 loaves that I've baked over at the, home over the last three years. Although you had to take like a year break. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So my, my my building was out without gas for 13 months. And in that time, I honestly, I'd almost forgotten everything and had to relearn all over again. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those things where uh, I was at the She-Wolf Bakery 
um, a few years ago. My girlfriend took me out there. And that's owned and by that's owned, yeah, Andrew, was, Andrew Tarlow, who owns Diner the, exactly. and, and Marlowe and stuff yes. in, in Brooklyn. And they provide all the breads for those guys. And their master baker, uh, Austin, he said, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years, and I learn something new every single day. And I, and I, I get it. Every single loaf, you look at it and you're like, this is, this is a live, this is, this is from a live starter. This is a, a, a living, you know, well, so, all right, Well, all right. So for a novice like me, I've never baked bread. So explain that to me because it's like, oh, it's the same recipe. It's the same oven. It's the same pan. What do you, how, how can there be, where do the differences come from and, and how do the differences manifest themselves? I, well, there's so many factors you have to consider. Um, so you make, you make your starter. And, uh, All right. First my thing. first, first my first. first starter was given to me. I was given a tablespoon of it uh, from uh, from my girlfriend. And uh, where I, did she get it? This is like the question. Made it, she made it uh, herself, and she she never told me how she developed it. But uh, she'd been making bread occasionally, every couple weeks or so. Um, usually a whole wheat, and I mean a whole and entirely just whole wheat. Uh, so I got this starter. Started feeding it with bread flour because I'm not crazy about whole wheat. All right. First question. Claire, sorry. Yeah. Claire's the expert here, Andy. Yeah. But just if for a layman like me, what is a starter and how do you start a starter? Okay. So a starter is a mixture of flour and water, usually in equal parts. And it's been inoculated with a whole system of yeast and bacteria, yeast and lactic acid bacteria that are living in this environment and they are feeding on the flour and metabolizing it. And so when the yeast and bacteria metabolize the flour, they're creating gas, which is what's leavening that bread and making those holes. And the lactic acid bacteria is producing lactic acid, as you would imagine, and that's creating that sour flavor of sourdough. Can, can you make your own starter? Or, because you always often hear about starters being given to a pinch of starter being given from this person. Yeah. Or, so if you were to make your own starter, how do you start a starter? Yeah. So. Right. I actually got the starter that I use from She-Wolf, which is a great bakery. Um, but I've also made my own. So you can make your own. All you do is literally mix together flour and water. Um, you have to make sure the water is like free of chemicals so because that can affect and inhibit a lot of the yeast and bacteria. I've made my own. I used a recipe from a master baker named Peter Reinhardt. And that method is unique. It includes some pineapple juice, which sort of like inhibits the growth of harmful bacteria. You essentially mix together flour and water and let it sit on your countertop until you start to see like bubbling activity. Now, there is a whole range of starters where you have um, young starters, mature starters. And so you need to let that starter kind of you need to continue to feed it. So the, like a lot of people joke that having a new starter is like having a pet. You have to like go home and like I would call my roommate and be like, I'm not going to be home in time. You have to feed my starter. <laughs> so how right. do you, how do you, A, all right, two questions. How do you feed a starter and when do you know that the starter is ready to be used for bread baking? Yeah. So to feed a starter, you discard a lot of it. This is a problem that you'll hear like avid bakers is like, I have too much starter because event you have to, um, unless you're a bakery producing like hundreds of loaves a day, you're going to have an excess of starter. So you have to discard most of it. Use a little bit of— Wait, wait, wait. I, I'm so confused. Why do you have—where does this too much starter come from? Well, so you can—okay, so you have your starter. Maybe you have a cup of it or so. You have to feed it with a proportionately large amount of water and flour. So if you just add a proportionately large amount of flour and water to your starter, you now have, like, six cups of starter. It's like, what uh -huh. are you going to do with six cups of starter? I don't know. Right. So you got to either give it away or throw it out. And people make, like, pancakes from it. They find creative ways ways to use it. Um, but you essentially add more flour and water to the starter so that you have more food for the yeast and bacteria to feed on. So it's constantly growing. Constantly. And it's, and it's, and it's you can, metabolizing. And, and so how often do you feed a starter? 
Once you have a mature starter, I keep mine in the fridge because I don't bake every day. Mm -hmm. Bakeries like She Wolf will have it just out at room temperature because they're using it every day and they want it to stay active. So this introduces the idea that temperature is very important. So when you chill a starter, it slows down the metabolism of all those yeasts and bacteria. And I want that because I don't want like yeah. an active starter that I feed every day. And what about you, Andy? I use I I keep mine in the fridge uh, in a mason jar, probably a pint mason jar. And I'm baking probably most days. So, you know, a tablespoon comes out um, and then the next day another tablespoon will come out. Then I will add, you know, another two or three tablespoons of flour and I use um, – I don't know if there's – I'm sure there's chemicals in it, but I use New York tap water out of the faucet. Me too. Because there's, it's so mineral rich. Yeah. And, uh, and then I will leave that on the counter. And if I, <laughs> if I don't, you know, attend to it, I've come back, uh, you know, later, later in the day, and it is like lava overflow wow. out. It's incredibly active. My, mine is right now. So – but by putting it in the fridge, it sort of it – sort of, it, 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 tempers the growth process. Yeah. So at that point, I feed once a week, and uh -huh. I take out two tablespoons, and I feed about 300 grams of flour, 300 grams of water. Um, so, and then when I want to bake, I take it out of the fridge, and I have to refresh it. So at that point, the yeast and bacteria are really sluggish, and they're not going to, they're not really able to do the work of like leavening a whole loaf. So I keep it at room temperature and over the course of about two days, I feed it three more times and I'm constantly discarding what I don't need and only keeping two tablespoons. And so that's creating something that's super, super active. And the way that you know if it's ready to, to bake with or not, um, you see a lot of bubbles, you'll see tons of activity. Um, there'll even be like a little bit of a dome. It'll have, it'll gained a whole lot of volume. What does your smell like when it's, when it's ready to rock? I mean, for lack of a better word, kind of yeasty, um, but like mm. almost like beer. Like Mine's, it has a really, really beautiful, like nutty smell. Mine gets really uh, apple cidery. And mm -hmm. that for me, at least that seems to be the most effective when it gets to that like sweet but tart kind of, yeah, kind of, you know, so fermented. So you're, you're yeah. using your nose to tell you that it's yes, ready? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely, as Claire said, uh, see it. I mean, it it, it expands. Yeah. Uh, it gets bubbly. Have you ever been like, oh, I, I'm going to a friend's house tonight for dinner, so I need to bring a loaf, but the starter's not totally at optimal ready stage, but I got to bake this bread anyways? If I'm going to a friend's for dinner that night and I hadn't started it <laughs> the day before, there's no way I'm bringing a loaf because yeah. of the time required. So There's so much required for this yes. bread thing. You have to Why really, don't you just go to She Wolf Bakery <laughs> and buy a loaf? I do that sometimes. <laughs> well, because for to – to prepare for this podcast, we talked about a couple days ago what our plan was, and I was like, I can't bring a loaf because I haven't started with enough with enough time in advance. So, so. what you did bring is this weird blob <laughs> in, a, in a in a plastic bin with plastic wrap on. Yeah. So I brought dough that I mixed today. Um, and Adam, just to answer your earlier question, there's one test you can do with starter to make sure it's ready to be added to your dough. Um, it's called the float test. That's something that I think the baker Chad Robertson pioneered, um, or at least popularized. He's the baker at uh, Tartine. Um, he's like he's like bread Jesus. He, yes, yes, totally. Yes. Every like at home sourdough baker just like wishes they could make a loaf that looked like a Tartine loaf. At least, well, at least I think that. Um, but so you take a little pinch of starter, maybe about a teaspoon, and you float it. You dump it into a little bowl of water, and if it floats, it means that there's enough gas in there, that there's enough mm. activity that it can leaven your loaf. If it sinks, you got to wait a little longer. Um, so, okay, so, all right, so you're ready to start making your bread. 
Um, I guess the first question is, how much starter do you need relative to the ingredients you're building your bread around? Well, I can I can give an example of this bread, which your listeners can't see, but uh, sitting here on my left. Claire, you want to describe that bread, that loaf? <laughs> it looks beautiful. It can looks I beautiful. can I point something out at the loaf? Sure. So it has I can see from here across the table. So it's a round loaf. Yeah, it's a it's a boule. It has one big slash down one side, and it's developed what bakers call an ear. So um, you can see sort of like where. The, it was slashed with a tool called a lom. Or did you use a like a, a razor? I just use a, I, I have a lom, but I took it out. I took the razor blade out of it because I like to have just hold it. the closeness of it. Looks like a, it right. looks like a big gaping battle scar across yes. its back. <laughs> yeah. Like if Godzilla got in a fight. Oh, yeah. Right. That's a good moth, thing. With like Mothra or something. That's what it is. It's yeah. a slash. Yeah. And then you've got some little slashes running perpendicular. Which I didn't do as deeply. Um, as the as the major slash across it, so you ju- which is more de- decorative, I suppose. Um, the deeper you go, the more it will open up because the you know the air is escaping. But if you do smaller ones on the side there, it just um, it looks like little I don't know florets. But, but now the in terms of the functional purpose for the slashes. Yeah. So you really the bread is going to expand when all the gas that's trapped inside in these pockets heats up in a super hot oven, they expand. And the bread, with if you don't give it a place, if you don't slash it, it will expand unpredictably and kind of split haphazardly. So you're really just giving it, you're doing, you're cutting it so that it has... Um, Controlled release. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You're controlling how it expands. And so um, this ear is sort of what, like you see it on tartine loaves where you usually use the the lom, which just means blade. In French, it's like a razor blade on a handle. Um, you go in at an angle and as the loaf bakes and expands, um, like part of it kind of like opens up and out and creates like a little weird little shelf on the mm-hmm. side. Now, Andy, you also have a bunch of what looked like concentric circles made out of flour. What, what's going no, on there? that. So when I uh, ooh, when I made the dough uh, and was ready to put it into the what it's called a proofing basket, which is the final stage where you shape the dough. And uh, oh, those are those little sort of like uh, uh, what's that? What's the material? Um, it's like a wicker or yeah, a yeah retine, wicker, and but then yeah. it's lined with like a. a well, you can have a liner, which of, uh, yeah, uh, or a linen, linen, um, linen which is saying, nice. Yes. Um, when you don't use a liner, the bread kind of. F- grows around the uh, the concentric circles. Oh, that's so what it's flour, from. So the, you flower you flower the basket. You flower the basket. Oh, because I was like, how did you make those circles so perfect? <laughs> Pop the dough in. So when you take it out, um, you know, I guess where the the concave parts would uh-huh. have uh, no flour, and the yeah, convex yeah. parts would have flour in it. Um, so you have this nice, pretty sort of uh, design there. In terms of to get back to your just your quick question about timing and you know why you can't bring a loaf. To a dinner party that someone asked for that day, when when you know I was asked to bring a loaf here, it was two days ago, and well, I'm, but no, really, was well, yeah, I, when we worked on it on mm, on Monday, okay, and I knew that uh, I was traveling on Tuesday, and if I got back in time, I could probably make start the Levan to make the dough. I'll explain that. Uh, and time it right so that I could bake it for this morning. But I wasn't going to get back until yesterday afternoon. So uh, I had my gal go to my house <laughs> to 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 start it with me. She took some starter out, uh, mix it with some water and some flour. And put that on the counter. Put that on the counter. So it came to temperature. Yes. So by the time I got home, it had started fermenting you know, to, the, to the right amount. Yeah. So I could, I could make the dough. I think it was yesterday around 6 o'clock. Now, when did this come out of the oven? Because it's still fragrant. That right came now. out of the oven about— 
two hours ago. Wow. And if it's if it's not warm, it would not be fragrant, would it? You would still be able to smell. I've taken like freshly baked loaves that weren't still hot, but like on the subway, mm -hmm. and like the whole train car smells like <laughs> right, it. Right. It's like I, it's like when someone brings McDonald's French fries on the train. You're like, oh my, oh man. I could. Yeah. I could write a book about all the weird things, all the weird foods I've taken on the train and like made the whole car smell oh like lakas. That that was a good one. You ever, you ever bring Popeye's fried chicken on the train? <laughs> I've never had Popeye's never fried had, chicken. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's a whole other podcast. Wow. So so yeah. So I think you know the point is that when you when you know that you have to have a bread ready, you have to start calculating backwards. Yeah. Because you know that the baking is going to take this amount of time. Uh, the the prepping the dough, fermenting it, proofing it is going to take that amount of time. So, you know, plus there's sleep involved and, you yeah. know, you can't, you don't want to be doing it at, you know, two in the morning. So, yeah, you have to start thinking backwards. So, as Claire was saying, you know, a bread can take two or three days, uh, you know, to, to find Claire, a you, final product. Claire, you raised your hand when he said there's sleep involved. Well, I have a question. <laughs> do you do a cold rise or do you cold proof at all? I do. And, I, and I've found that it's easier for a couple of reasons. What Number is, one, you can sleep. What does that mean? Okay. It means, so, you know, a lot of times... You know, you'll let it proof on your countertop. Yeah. And, you know, there's different climates. There's different altitudes. So, you know, Tartine, you know, Chad out in the West Coast, you know, he's baking these breads and proofing them with these circumstances in this environment. So if you don't want to think about that, you can proof it in your refrigerator. Uh, and it's a very slower – it's a slower process. But it's a controlled environment. It's a controlled environment. And it should, you know – quote, unquote, uh, you know, produce the same results every time. Now, of course, you know, there's a lot of other factors involved, like, you know, how is your starter doing this week compared to two weeks ago? You know, how long was your dough, you know, at the fermenting stage before you proofed it in the refrigerator? The other good thing about refrigerator proofing is that the next day when you take it out, um, it's it's got a, a, um, a solidity to it. So when you're slashing it with your uh, razor blade, it's almost like a, a, a tougher skin that's yeah, so easier. easier. But if it's a if it's a gooey, you know, meltier, humid, hot day, and you leave it on your counter, you can you know almost not even slash yeah. it sometimes. All right, we're now going to take a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. So I have a lot of nerdy questions about the bread that you bake. Like, what is the hydration? And then we can talk about what. Uh, so Adam, your question, like, how much starter do you put into the bread? When your time well, to bake. Well, yeah. So, I mean, is it a pinch of starter or like what's right. – what, give me some example of ratios yeah. of flour to water to starter. Well, that brings up what's known as baking percentages. So, people say like, well, do you have a recipe for bread? It's like, well, there's not really a recipe, but there's percentages. So there's right. proportions that you follow. So, when I do a round of baking, I usually um, start with 1,000 grams. A flour bakers usually use grams. Um, and that makes it really easy to do percentages. So everything, all bakers' percentages, it refers to like a percentage of the flour amount. So with 1,000 grams of flour with a kilo, you maybe do 800 grams of water. And that would mean 800 over 1,000, you have 80% hydration. Okay. And so everything is then, then like measured out as a proportion of the bread, of the flour. So that makes sense. And then, what, then where does the starter factor into that? So it, it's, it really can vary. It, some bakers use as much as like 33% starter, so 330 grams, wow. a third of the weight of the flour. And then does that make the bread tangier and funkier, et cetera? Yeah, it'll make it ferment a lot faster. Uh -huh. So you have more of the yeast and bacteria, so it'll be a more active dough. It won't take quite as long at room temperature to ferment. Um, but I use around 20%. So for 1,000 grams of flour, about 200 grams of starter. I don't know, Andy, how does that compare? I'm using, I'm usually doing one at a time. So I'm doing half. So I'm doing 500 grams of flour right now. And I've been changing it for the last three years. Right now I'm doing about 300. 
121 grams of water. Oh, yeah, got to be 21. And yeah. about 100 grams of starter. And that's, so that, that would be the equivalent of 200 to your, which is what exactly. you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I and just, when I, you know, take the, I take a tablespoon of starter from the fridge, put it in a bowl with 50 grams of water, room temperature. But wait, so just the only difference, so the, the difference between yours and his, he has less hydration. Because he said if he was doing 1,000, he'd be at 642. You right. said you said you do eight hundred. Yeah, so I go. I usually go around eighty percent. Right. But yeah, so so you're about sixty four percent. Yeah, but you know, in the winter time when it's when, you know the apartments are drier and there's not as much humidity in the air, I tend to add increase the hydration mm-hmm. just to make up for it. And what and kind are, of- you, are you? I'm sorry, just because I'm very curious. Are you doing this? Do you do that sort of intuitively by feel and look, or are you yeah. like measuring it out? You know, I used to I used to think I could do it by measuring out, and then you know. Inevitably, you'd say, "What? What happened? You know, it worked a week ago. Why didn't it work today?" So, and it's probably, you know, they always say that, you know, the difference between baking and cooking is that there's there's science involved in baking, and you know, you can't you can't really improvise that much. You know, that's why, as Claire was saying, you know, using grams as a measurement, it's a lot. It's a lot more specific than ounces, for instance. You know, a twentieth of an ounce. You know, with grams, it's one two. So, you know, when I was um, I was sticking to uh, to my rule of you know this this amount of that of flour this amount of, of water, and something didn't work, so I'd kind of alter it the next time. And I got into the really probably the bad baker's habit of improvising <laughs> with yeah. my dough and using using my hands to feel like that feels like a really wet dough for but some should, reason. Isn't that a good idea, Claire? That you shouldn't shouldn't it be by feel? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're, I mean, if you're baking every day with the same flour and the same starter, you probably develop that intuition pretty quickly of like, oh, it just feels different today based on the weather or the temperature. Might need a little more flour. Yeah, but if you're changing it up a lot, it's like I would, I mean, I always measure, but that's just my sort of like you're precise. My insecurity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so, but just to answer uh, Adam to answer your question earlier. You change the amount of water also based on the flour that you're using. So are you – Annie, are you using all white flour? I'm using, um, yeah, all bread flour, which is I think a little more higher protein than all-purpose flour, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always throw in a little bit of whole wheat flour. And so whole wheat flour is – when you get white flour, like white bread flour, it's just the endosperm. You say – we'll get to endosperm in a second. When you say a little bit, so what does that mean? Like what's the right. ratio? Okay, so I use 1,000 grams of flour total, but I'm using 800 grams of white bread flour, 150 grams of whole wheat bread flour, and then I like to throw in just 50 grams of some other like alternative wheat flour like spelt or mm-hmm. rye because I like the flavor. What would happen if you used all wheat flour and no white at all? You would get, typically when you use all white flour, you get a much more open crumb, which is sort of um, like a baker's speak for like bigger holes and like more irregular holes when you add. And so you get also more gluten. It's like the other. So is white flour typically more glutinous, like like pasta, like pizza dough, white pizza dough. You ever have whole wheat pizza dough. It's not the same. Right. You get something a little denser, um, a little tougher, like not as springy. But so one reason, so you might be thinking like, well, then why would you add any whole wheat or anything? But when whole wheat interacts with the starter, all that yeast and bacteria, like they love, it loves whole wheat and it creates all these cool, like funky flavors um, as the dough ferments. So you have to sort of strike this balance between flavor and texture, I think with adding whole wheat flours. So I find that if you go, if you have like 80% of your flour is white flour, 
you get all the texture and like whole structure and springiness, but then you also get with the remaining flour this this great flavor development. Have you considered this, Andy? Yeah, and I have used whole wheat flour, and I've tried. I think um, for for the wifey um, project, my, which is my Adam, my wife and her uh, good friend Janine's sort of art gallery slash cafe space in Brooklyn, where Andy was doing yeah he was do, he was doing a bread program for a while. Well, yeah, yeah. I was. I was and, <laughs> it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge when you know uh, a, a, you know someone is depending on a professional baker using yeah. professional <laughs> equipment and space, and then switches quickly. You know, while while in stride to a home baker, I uh, couldn't really provide ten loaves a day at seven in the morning. But um, but I. They asked if I could do some whole wheat, so I did. And I was doing, I think, for 500 grams, I was doing about 400 grams bread and 100 grams. And it gives it, obviously, a darker, a little slightly did you, darker so color. How, how, how did you personally like that bread compared to your go-to? I didn't, I didn't mind it. But <laughs> ringing endorsement. No, 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 no. It's, it, it, does, it does add some more flavor. Um, it, it, was, it was tangier, uh-huh. um, you know, probably fermenting different. So it was a little bit more conventionally sour. And I don't, you know, this is technically a sourdough, but I don't like sourdough bread, which is strange. So, and by Claire, that- Claire, by, just, Claire just looked at you side-eyed. Yeah, no, no, by but that- But this must run in the family, because Adam, you famously, you don't like sourdough either. Exactly. All right, I, all right can I talk, all right, I'm going to just interject for a while. So I- I went to school in the Bay Area. Go Bears. <laughs> Cal Bears. Um, the, the problem I have with San Francisco is that everything is sourdough. And it's like you go and you get a baguette and the baguette is sourdough. It's like, no, no, I don't want – no one wants a sourdough baguette. You don't go to Paris and like there's they're not supposed to be sourdough. And it's just such an overweeningly sourdough city that it's just like – it's just everything is tangy. And I'm, like, I'm sick of the tang. So it's like okay. – I like sourdough with Chad Robertson's make it or something, but I just don't want sourdough all the time. And especially mediocre sourdough, there's nothing lamer when like you, you get a turkey sandwich. And I'm like, I don't want your mediocre sourdough bread with my turkey sandwich and mayo. Just give me some good white bread or good wheat bread. Can I just get some wheat bread that's not sourdough? You had it forced on you. I yes. get it. But also I just want to say it's interesting about San Francisco because you hear that like San Francisco sourdough is a thing. And that's because, Andy, to your point earlier, like depending on where you are, the whole, like the colonies of yeast and bacteria in different parts of the country, different parts of the world are different. So like San Francisco sourdough can only be made in San Francisco because like they have, it's like this wind's coming off the bay. It's like a whole mm. thing. So like, I, I don't know, maybe you just don't like San Francisco. I don't know. Never mind. I have a lot You're of issues fine. with San Francisco, but that, we'll get to those. Um, No, but so anyways, all right. So, so well, Anna, can you, how would you bring the bread over here? Let's, let's get into this bread. First of all, let's cut open. You want to yeah, cut it? Yeah, yeah. So maybe pull the, pull the, pull the cutting board. It. So my question is this. You were also talking about, you know, no two loaves are the same. You never quite master it. Can you tell before you cut into the loaf, just picking it up, how good this loaf is going to be or not good based on its weight and how hard it is on the outside, that sort of stuff? Well, good. I mean, okay, so there's good tasting. And yeah. there's good looking. Yeah. And one does not necessarily beget the other. And good texture and, and stuff. Good, well, yeah. And it's a nice crumb, um, you know, meaning the, the, the size of the holes, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, the variety of holes. Um, and I've made breads that have great, great looking crumbs, but just tasted kind of, eh, there wasn't much going on. Um, oh, Let's go do that. Wow. That's a good sound. Little dance. So what does that tell you? What gonna, it, so I want to feel it. See, yeah. can I do that thing where you, you touch your nose to the bread? Is that a thing? Sure. No, seriously, is that a thing that you do to see how wet the bread is? 
I think, yeah, are they not just smelling yeah. it? No, I, don't I, thought, know. I thought you like literally touch like the tip of your nose to feel if it's like nice and wet. Do, do bakers not do that? I've never heard of that. I thought that was a thing. It could, could be. <laughs> no, I, no idea. Apparently that's not a thing. Is that a European thing? It's um, like when chefs touch their, the like fish tester to the their bottom lip or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but because it, it should be kind of like a really good bread when you, if you, if you're talking, whether it's here in New York, whether it's. Uh, whether it's She Wolf or um, Bien Cui or obviously Chad out in San Francisco, there's a the really good stuff is, is there's a wetness almost to sure. it, even though the outside is hard and like like the solidity to it, the inside is right. moist. Mm-hmm. Sorry, oh, we had butter <laughs> over here um, and jam. I already I already started eating it. So Claire, what's your initial thoughts? I think it tastes great. One thing I was about to point out earlier was that you see on the outside of the loaf these little tiny bubbles. Like you see it on good homemade bagels, like these tiny little pockets of air. I think that's a sign of a well-fermented, like a properly fermented loaf is you get all you get all these little like crunchy pockets on the outside too. It's a little sour. It's not, yeah, not it's overpowering. There's a little tang. I would say more of a tang. I mean, it's all yeah, it's, not you know semantics, but tang rather than a, a sourness. All right, right, so I have a question. Um, a lot of questions. Would you like some jam, Claire? We got some. I'm I'm eating it plain, jam. just so I can really taste the the bread. <laughs> um. So, how do you make a bread like like a a proper Parisian baguette if you're not using a starter? If there is no sourdough in it, then how do you get those active in, you know elements in there? So I, th- I baguettes mean, I- are impossible. <laughs> I've never tried. I've made baguettes oh once, and it was like during our baking unit in culinary school. I did go to culinary school in France, so I feel like I'm trying to remember what that dude told us in French about how to make baguettes. But baguettes are traditionally a—they're not naturally leavened. They're leavened with like commercial yeast, mm-hmm. so like a baker's yeast, which comes in like little like compacted cubes that you break up and then add to the dough. So baguettes are made very quickly. Like you add you add the yeast to the dough. You let it rise, you form them, and you bake them. They're not, it's not a long, it's not a long rise. And, and so it's made, baguettes, like, in in the grand scheme of bread baking are not that old. Like, it's something that really could only be developed with the advent of commercial yeast and, mm. like, you know, big bakeries. So um, it's very neutral in flavor. Like, it's really, you kind of really just taste like white right. flour. And they're delicious, yeah. and you have all that crust on the outside. But it's not a sourdough. You can find baguette to Campania where it's like a, a more country style yeah. those um, are like or the, a la ancienne like an like, older right. style those one those are kind of like the ones I want to say that the bakery Bianqui here in New York makes where the crust is a, a harder crunchier crust and there is a little bit of tang to it as mm-hmm. opposed to that very flaky just pure white bread yeah. sort of Parisian right. style I tried right. to make speaking of Chad I tried to make Chad Robertson's um, baguette recipe in his his book he uses uh, dry yeast and um, he makes a pouliche uh-huh. Um, with a starter. So it's using two different kinds of yeast, basically. It was so complicated. He's I had to, just, I had to read that off. section three times in a row, attempted it, got got lost while making it. Like, where am where am I? What hour is right. When do I do that? It was a disaster. Um, but he, from the pictures in the book, he proved it, it can work. But then again, he's like this wizard. So yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. So, all right. The next question. This is delicious, by the way. Thanks. Um, and I bet that this is that sort of—is this at peak eatingness right now? Like a few hours out of the oven, 
you know, it's like they say with, you know, with steaks, mm-hmm. you know, you have to let it rest because yeah. then all the all the juices will come out. With bread, um, I always try to let it rest, but the, the temptation, if you're in your, your apartment and yeah. it smells amazing like bread and there's a hot steaming loaf yeah. there, you, you're going to cut into it. But also, butter-wise, something about putting butter on a bread that will melt the butter because of the temperature, the internal temperature of the bread is kind of amazing. Yeah. And it's it's hard to duplicate. Um, you know, with with a cool bread. Yeah, you can revive it. You can put the whole. So what yeah. happens when you let the bread cool is like all that steam that's trapped inside needs to make its way out. So it comes out of the oven with this really hard crust, and then as it cools, the, I found that the crust kind of softens as the yeast, is, as the sorry, as the steam is escaping, and then it like reforms again. So there's like optimal times to cut it, but if you, especially if you've left the loaf whole. And so, like, the, the crust is protecting that crumb on the inside. You can put it back in a hot oven and it, like, brings that crust back and you get, like, that sound with a knife going through. You can you can bring that back. Right. Um, so the obvious question, Andy, is what the hell do you do with all this bread that you baked? Give it away. Literally. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I am um, – if you see my Instagram page, um, I usually hashtag uh, giveaway bread. And it was kind of a – if I was in a business, a marketing ploy where, you know, I literally will say – this bread is is for giving away. I mean, if you if you write me and say, "Can I have it?" I'll give it to you. But you got to show up and get it. Yeah, you got to show up and get it. I will travel every once in a while if it's you know somebody that I like or know or you know works at a restaurant nearby or something like that. Um, because the you know doing the calculations of how many calories <laughs> five five or six hundred grams of flour. And there's been days where I've gone through you know half a loaf of bread by myself in a day. Like what what what, what am I <laughs> thinking? You know, I don't want to go running, but now I have to. You know, like four days in a row. And um, but, it, you know, then the other thing is that, you know, I make, if I have one, haven't given it away, I'll make croutons out of it. It makes great croutons. Um, I'll freeze it, slice, but slice it before you freeze it because otherwise. Well, let's, let's talk about that. So this, this, this boule, can I call it a boule? Sure. It is about, what, 10 inches in diameter? 10, 12? Maybe nine. Nine, yeah. nine 10. We'll call it nine or 10. Um, so t- can you talk about the the lifespan of a loaf like this in terms of eating, storing? Like, what, what are your options? For store, I've discovered that, um, so for instance. Because if you're not like Andy, you're not going to eat an entire no, no. half loaf in one day. I'm holding, I'm holding a bread that has about two-thirds. I mean, it's got about maybe a half left. If I take this, put the cut side down on a piece of plastic wrap, that will prevent this from getting stale. Mm-hmm. And the crust will maintain its hardness from the air. The, the air will cre- – and I've had them last for two or three days easily yeah. like that. Yeah. Naturally fermented breads tend to last a really long time. Because mm-hmm. if you put it in a bag, then that crust oh. starts to lose its crackliness, yeah, right? Yeah, you, you can bring the crust back. I find that storing in like a paper bag is really good. Not something like a, a Ziploc. Yeah. It's like it traps too it, much of the moisture. Right? It does, And yeah. it gets a little weird. Um, but it responds really, really well to toasting. So, I, I mean, I've toasted bread like exactly. four or five days after I've so, made it. Well, at what point, when do you go from the fresh to toasted sort of moment? What's, 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 what's a tipping point? I mean, probably day two, just because mm-hmm. I want the that crust morning. again. Yeah. Um, but it still tastes great, and it's still, especially with the higher hydration breads, they retain so much moisture. They're not dry and, like, stale the way that other bread stales. That's, that's Real quick, that's the other thing that I noticed with whole wheat bread – for me, maybe maybe you can um, d- d- defer, but I it toasting whole wheat bread doesn't work for me. It it mm. loses something. It, it it creates this almost new flavor, um, kind of a weird pungent 
hmm, something. And white bread for me toasts up better. So Yeah. I found that with whole wheat, I bake my – we should also talk about how you bake them because there's a method where you bake them in a Dutch oven. I found that when I bake – Oh, yeah. We haven't talked about that. Yeah. I find when you bake loaves with whole wheat, I tend to take them really, really dark. Like some people might call them burnt. I would say they're <laughs> – they're, Bien qui, as they say, right. well well done or well cooked. Um, and you get like some slight bitterness, almost like molassesy notes in the crust with whole wheat that I think some people are like, they're, they're just looking for a plain loaf with to- with bread, you know, with butter and jam. It's maybe not ideal. Sure. You know, it's really good at the, um, I want to say, is that High Street on Hudson? And they do the anadama bread, mm-hmm. correct? With like the, that's got the corn and molasses on the inside, yeah. and that low the the crust gets super dark and almost that burnt taste, but plays off the that wet sweetness on the inside really nicely. Yeah, and if you've ever had a loaf of um, like she wolf, a lot of bakeries make a version of like mm-hmm. a Scandinavian rye bread that comes in super dense. It comes yeah. in the loaf with all these spread of grains. Same thing, like you you know you the the bread it's so dark on the outside and it has all these really um, like interesting but slightly bitter. Notes. Um, and I, yeah, I found that with whole wheat, you get that a lot more. Also, I don't want to interrupt the conversation, oh, yeah. but I have to, I have to, Ooh. my bread is fermenting. I have my dough next to me and I have to do what's called a series of turns okay, to so strengthen let's do it. This. So I'm going to put my headphones down and <laughs> do this. I have to stand up and do it. <laughs> Hold right, on. I'm going to narrate. So Claire is standing up. She's got like a, a plastic bin that's probably like 14 inches by 12 inches or 16 by 12. And it's, there's this gooey, blob at the bottom that your kids like might play with when if they're like in fourth grade you're picking the whole thing up and stretching it and it's sticky and kind of wet and you're just kind of flopping it around <laughs> here can i can you yeah, hear, can you hear yeah. me do this so this step so the dough is fermenting it's at room temperature um it's been going for about an hour and this process of picking the dough up and stretching it and let it kind of fall back on itself is um, it helps strengthen the dough. So I'm like reforming these gluten chains. It's all very technical, um, but it's also really fun. I love like the tactile feeling of it. It's this weird texture where it's like kind of solid and kind of liquid. Um, yeah, it's, it's, kind of, like it's wobbly. In between state. And I can see that there's little areas where it's bubbling up. So that's good. That means there's activity. Well, it's like that, like when you're a little kid and you're playing with slime or whatever. I mean, it's usually green. This is kind of a, a beigey color, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, so Andy, let's talk about um, while while Claire's doing that. Um, That's such a satisfying notion. Yeah. <laughs> what um? So just for the for the home bake for the home listener, um, you guys. So when you're making this bread at home, you've got your starter. You're taking your thousand or five hundred grams of flour and the water and mixing it together. You got the dough. It's going through this process where it's sort of getting ready, and then you take the dough. You got your little basket and you turn it out into like a. Dutch oven, like that's what you're actually baking it in. I use a, uh, it's a round four and a half quart crusade. Mm-hmm. I have two of them, um, and yeah, and I, I, the temperature of my oven goes up to 500. So I started at 500, and when it get, when it reaches that, I turn it down to 450. Okay. Pop the dough in. How high? What, uh, lower rack, upper middle rack, rack, middle rack, middle rack. Yeah. Um, and uh, put the dough in, uh, slash it. As I, you know, as I feel, um, you know, if I'm feeling artistic that day mm. or just want to get it over with, do it to a square or an X or something like that. Um, put the top on. I do 20 minutes top on. Uh-huh. Take the top off and do an additional 25 or so minutes. How do you decide um, when it's done? Well, you trust you trust yeah. that the, the recipe is going to work every time. Um, you know, it's funny because this, if you don't, fl- I sometimes will flour the top of the top of the dough. 
quite a lot, and it's hard to see how brown it gets, obviously, because the flower maintains kind of a, a beigey kind of color. But with this one, which you can't see, um, you can see where the flower is not, you know, on the dough, how dark it got. And I think that's probably pretty good for, yeah, for a white that's bread. That's real good. Like, you know. Claire, what's the difference between a basic home gas oven and a professional baking oven? Yeah, so... Big bakeries that are doing high production will have what's called multi-deck steam ovens. So these are ovens where there's a steam injection function. So steam is very important for baking bread. Um, I actually, when I was researching the bread recipe, talked to a bunch of bakers to sort of get like, there's all these sort of, um, there's like common knowledge about bread. And I think people know, oh, you need steam when you bake bread, but it's not really clear why. So what happens is when... And you need a lot, you need high heat too. So Andy said five hundred. That's that's how I that's as high as our ovens go right. in the test kitchen. And that's what I used to. If if it went higher, I would go higher. Um, the idea is that you're putting the bread in in a super hot oven, and the gas inside is rapidly expanding as it heats up, and it's raising the bread. So, but I assume I assume they are not putting the bread in Crusade Dutch ovens. No. <laughs> so the fun, the reason they need steam is because steam keeps the outside of the bread, the starches on the outside of the bread, pliable, so that the bread can sort of reach what's called maximum oven spring. Oven spring is like how how much your bread grows when you're baking. Um, and if you don't have that, the outside will start to like set and seize up before it's really been able to expand, uh, before all the gas has been able to expand. And then you get like really wonky looking, like weird loaves. Um, so some like professional ovens have a steam injection function where it's like plumbed in and it's, you know, putting steam in. But obviously a home oven doesn't have that. So there's a lot of ways that home bakers have come up with um, like a workaround for that. And one way is to bake in a Dutch oven. So that's what I do also. Um, it's a pretty popular method. That's the method we use um, in our bread recipe. And basically you're creating this sealed environment where the bread is like self-steaming. So you put the lid on. I think another important thing is that you preheat the Dutch oven in, you know, put the uh, put the Dutch oven in, then turn on your oven. I let it go for like oh. at least 30 minutes. So I, I'm sure it's super, super hot um, because you want that dough to start, you want the um, gas to start expanding as soon as it goes in okay. the oven. Um, and so you put it in with the lid on for the first, yeah, I go like 15 or 20 minutes, mm -hmm. Annie, just what you do. Um, and during that time, all the bread has a ton of moisture in it and it's creating its own steam and once it's achieved like maximum oven spring, which happens at about 15 or 20 minutes, then you take the lid off and that's when it takes on all of its color. So the Dutch oven is just a really, a lot of people have one at home. Um, uh, like enameled is fine if you have just straight cast iron, that works great too. With the Le Creuset, you have to be careful because some of the um, knobs are not heat safe after like 400 or 425. So mm. I just I just unscrew the knob and plug it the hole with like a little piece of foil. Um, and then, but it works really, really well. Um, well, guys, it's been fascinating. And they, and they get oh. hot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Andy's oh. got the scars to prove it. Yeah, when you said you got to heat it up too. first and then put the dough in, I'm like, that's got to hurt. Oh, my God. I've never had my heart beat so fast as the first time I dropped a huge blob of dough into a 500-degree Dutch oven. It's insane. <laughs> Every time. Um, okay, so if you want to check out Claire's uh, home-baked bread recipe without a starter, it's called BA's Best Bread uh, on bonappetit.com. If you really want to get into home bread baking, do you – do you go out and buy Chad's Tartine Bakery cookbook? Is that the one to get? I'd say yeah. I mean, you know, 
Any other books, Claire, that you recommend? I, I will say the pictures will be intimidating because I guarantee there's no way that you, your first try is going to look anything like what he does. Yeah, don't 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 it. be discouraged. Bien Cui, the baker Zach, I can't remember his last oh. name. They, that book came out about a year ago, yeah, yeah, um, I that. and that's like a super intensive um, but very thorough, like sort of sourdough primer. There's a lot of them out there, but Peter I, Reinhardt's books. Yeah. Peter Reinhardt is like uh, sort of you know a master bread baker. Um, King Arthur Flower website I find is also a really good resource all right. for information. There's like all these other weird deep bread forums. The great thing is that if you if a, if you have a question and you type and you type the, a vague version of the question to Google, that forum will pop up, and you it's a rabbit hole. You will go down that rabbit hole. You could stay there for hours. Yeah. Um, Everybody has the same questions you have, I promise. Um, okay, so if you if you want to check out Andy's Bread, you can dial him up on Instagram at Andy Rapoport, R-A-P-O-P-O-R-T, 66, and you can see a lot of pictures of bread is, or, and, and bass guitars and various che- che- punk bre- rock stuff. Cheetahbread.com. Oh, cheetahbread.com. He has, he has branded his bread, cheetahbread.com. And if you want to check out Claire, uh, you can see her all over the Bon Appetit videos on bonappetit.com and our YouTube channel, Bon Appetit YouTube channel, what? baking That's all right. sorts of things. From sticky buns to what else? What is it? Oh, you did the Twinkie? That was a crazy one. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned for more of that series. Yeah, that was, that <laughs> was that soon. Please. Um, but uh, guys, it's awesome. And Andy, thanks for the bread. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, Pleasure. guys. Thanks. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.